you know, uh, I can't believe that Thanksgiving has already come and gone. And I can't believe that we're now in the holiday season. And I walked in this morning, I, I got here about, oh, seven or so, and turned on all the lights, and I'm blown away by the talent that people in our church have, and they give their talent, and they decorate the auditorium. It is so very, very beautiful. And as I think about this, I see the Christmas trees on both sides, and they're in the foyer, and, and I think about what all we have to be thankful for, what all we have uh, just to literally say thank you, God, for. And this is just a beautiful reminder. Christmas is a beautiful reminder of what Christ did for us. And I want to say very boldly today, in just a few moments, I'm going to be preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And I believe with all of my heart that there are people here today that need to hear this message. As I was worshiping down here, I was blown away by the song that we just had. And how it so harmoniously goes with the, the message today. And In fact, Van, I'm, I'm going to ask you, if you can't do this, then don't worry about it. But if there's any chance we could do that same song for the invitation, when you, when, after we hear the message and when we sing that song again, you're going to see just how beautiful that song goes. Lord, I need you. And I, I believe that there are people here today that, that are, are, are grabbing at everything. They know they need something. In fact, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school today. There are people out there who, who, who know they need something. Maybe they're unhappy inside and maybe they know it, maybe they don't. But they're grabbing at things. What they need is Jesus. What you and I need is Jesus. I became a Christian in 1979 when I was nine years old, and I still need Jesus. Some of you have me beat on when you became a Christian. Some of you maybe have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something. You need Jesus. In July of 2016, there was a very uneventful commercial flight that, that, land, that was flying to Grand Rapids, South Dakota. And, and they, everything about the flight was normal. Okay, they, they made their final descent and, and landed. And once they landed, the pilots noticed something was, I don't know, something was up. And so they're, they're trying to figure it out. No one in the plane had any idea that there was a problem. And pilots didn't know there was a problem. But when they landed, next thing you know, the, the plane as it's taxiing, is met by all of the emergency response people at the airport. And they got the airplane to stop, and, and then the, the, the Air Force police, the military police, and them, they boarded the airplane. The captain of the flight had no idea what was going on. And they came on the flight, they had M-16s, and they had bomb-sniffing dogs. And then it came out what had happened. The airplane flying into Grand Rapids was to land on runway 13. And by the way, those of you, you may know this, you may not know this, just for the sake of explanation. Runway 13 doesn't insinuate that there's like a runway 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Runway 13 is how that, how that runway falls on a compass. So runway, one, uh, runway 13 is actually 130 degrees on the compass. And then there's a corresponding 
180 degrees difference. So it's runway 113 and run, I mean runway 130 and one way, runway 310. And he was supposed to land on runway 13 and he made his final descent. The only problem is, is he landed on runway 14, which was runway 140, which was actually 10 miles to the north of Grand Rapids. And it was a bad day for that pilot because that is the runway that is, that is at Ellsworth Air Force Base, home of the 28th Bomber Wing, which is a nuclear-capable bomber wing for the United States Air Force. And they landed on this runway. Everything's normal. But the Air Force is saying, who is this landing on our runway? And so when the plane landed and they got on there, they had to treat it as a terroristic threat. And they had to search the whole airplane. And two hours later, after they went through everybody's luggage, and the bomb-sniffing dogs went through the airplane, and, and after they asked all these questions, they finally boarded the people on a bus and sent them back 10 miles to Grand Rapids Airport. Let me tell you something. Mistaken identity is a bad thing. In Texas, it's a bad thing. Okay? In 1942... In the, uh, over in the Coral Sea, Japanese were flying and they were looking for the, the commanding ship of a bomber group. It was the USS Yorktown. On board it was an admiral who was in charge of that whole fleet in that area. And the Japanese are circling around and, 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 and they, they've been flying. They hadn't been able to find it and they, they got tired. And so they began heading back to their aircraft carrier group. When they had determined that they weren't going to find the boat, they scuttled their bombs. In other words, they just dumped them so that they could conserve fuel to get back to their aircraft carrier. And so they flew for a while, and then they saw their aircraft carrier, and the whole flight lines up, and they're getting ready to land, one right after another, bang, bang, bang. The lead airplane flashes his lights. That's how they communicated with the aircraft carrier. Flashes his lights, and the people on the flight deck didn't recognize the flashing sequence. And so they're like, what is going on? And, and here comes this airplane. He's on final approach. The problem is, is that the ship that they had been looking for, the USS Yorktown, was the ship that they were fixing to land on. They had scuttled all their bombs. They got lost, and they saw this ship, and they said, that's it. And they began to land. And the only thing is, that was the ship that it was their intention to sink. The guys on the flight deck waved them off. And as they began to pull off, the ship shot them down one at a time. Bang. Mistaken identity, y'all, is bad. Unfortunately, there are a whole lot of Christians today that go through life. And, and let me go one step further. Let's, there are a whole lot of Christians, but there are a whole lot of people who don't know Christ who go through life thinking there's something that they're not or thinking that they, that they belong to something that they're not or, or thinking that people think of them a certain way that they're not and it's a terrible case of mistaken identity. I want to give you some facts about your life regarding identity, okay? And these are some things when we think about this because mistaken identity is terrible. And so I want to ask you this question. Who are you? And let me give you some things to help you think about this. First thing is this. You're going to last your whole life. Now think about that for just a second, okay? You personally are going to last your whole life. 
your athletic excellence won't. I laugh about this. I've heard people say this, and I see it in my own life. The older I get, the better I was. Let me tell you something. You are going to last your whole life. Your athletic excellence is not. You're going to last your your whole life. Okay, You have you, your entire life. You're going to last your whole life, but your business savvy may not. You're going to last your whole life, but younger parents, one day your children are going to grow up They're going to move away, they're going to graduate, they're going to move away, and they're going to check on you occasionally. Who are you? Who are you? We're going to look in the Bible and we're going to see two people that that were diametrically opposed in their answer to this. They, They couldn't be further from each other. One was Samson. Samson was a, an interesting character. You can read about him in Judges chapter 15, 14, 15, and 16. And we were at men's group a couple of weeks ago, and this conversation came up. By the way, men, if you're not plugged into our men's group, please see me or see Chris or Jared or one of our staff members afterwards and let us tell you a little bit more about it. This was, this was by far and away the best men's group that I have been to yet. We looked at this verse. And and let me just give you some background before I read it to you. Samson was born, and and he was kind of a guy that was a good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. Okay, He started off, his parents were so honored that he was born into their life. They dedicated him to the Lord. He took what was called a Nazarite vow, and he lived for God. But eventually, probably at at first time, at an early age, he began to decide that he was something different. And he wanted his way. If you could ask Samson in his time like this, he would say something to this effect, I want what I want and I want it now. That's what he told his parents. And he ran from God. And and in chapters 14 and 15, they talk about this. And and then there's one interesting verse about Samson's life. And I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But it's Judges chapter 15, verse 20. And this is an interesting verse because it is the only verse that is completely positive about Samson. And it's a short verse. Listen to this. Uh, Verse 20. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And you might be, as I read that, you might, well, what's what's positive about that? He just, just states fact. He judged Israel for 20 years during the time of the Philistines. Well, here's why we get this as a positive verse. Because chapters 14 and 15 are all of his failures. All the way up to 15 verse 20. Verse 20 is a positive verse because it doesn't say anything negative. Now guys, some of y'all can relate to that. I know I can. Thank Thank the Lord that there's nothing negative in that verse. And that's the one positive verse. And then verse chapter 16 takes off, and he begins his decline again. As we were talking in men's group, what made it so amazing was we were, that verse just stuck out. What happened in verse 20? That what, in fact, the actual word came up. What happened in year 19 that changed Samson? And here it is, because we know what he did. He went back to his old way of life. He lost his identity. No longer was he this, this, this judge that wanted to honor God. For some reason, we don't know why. But what we do know is that he went back to his old ways. 
He lost his identity. On the other hand, there's Paul. Paul was a, a bad guy, and y'all, many of you know Paul's story. But Paul was a guy who, who couldn't stand the New Testament church. He couldn't stand Christians. He didn't like Christ. And he thought he was doing the, the, the church of old a favor by persecuting Christians. He was putting them to death. Scripture tells us that he stood and watched Stephen, the very first martyr, stood and watched with approval as they stoned this innocent man to death. During that time, his name was Saul. God literally changed his identity. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. And we're going we're gonna to look at, at chapter 1. We're going to focus on verse 12, but I want to read verse 1 to you. And I want you to notice Paul's identity change. Remember, his name was Saul. And then on the road to Damascus, God got a hold of him and changed him. Changed his identity. Changed his name. And listen to how he introduces himself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You have Samson who, who, who ruled for 20 years, and since there's nothing negative mentioned in that verse, we assume that those were positive years, but then he checked out of his identity. And then you have Paul who lived half of his life persecuting the church and in rebellion to God. And then God got a hold of him. And as he writes letters in the New Testament, he wrote most of the New Testament. As he writes letters, he introduces himself time and time again, Paul, an apostle of Christ. I want you to look down to verse 12. Paul says this as he's writing this young man named Timothy. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and in unbelief. Paul knew exactly who he was. And Paul knew who he was currently. He said, man, I, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was an arrogant man. But God in His grace changed me. God in His grace made me an apostle. I did these things in ignorance and God forgave me and He made me an apostle. And as you read throughout the, the New Testament and you read the letters that He wrote time and time again, He was so glad and so honored that He was an apostle of Christ because He knew who He used to be. And now his identity was found in Christ. Look at the next verses, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This, is a, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Paul recognized who he was and then he recognized that it was because of the grace of God that he was saved. This morning as we were reading in, in, in Scripture, um, we read where Christ chose us, Christ chooses us. 
Paul, he totally recognized that because while he was literally persecuting the church. In fact, when he gave his life to Christ on the road to Damascus, we know that he had orders in his hand to go and to take captive Christians and put them in prison. Once they got in prison, he didn't care what happened to them. He thought he was doing them a favor. So literally while he was doing the very thing that Christ would die for, that Christ did die for, Christ saved him. It's Paul. Why are you doing this to me? And Paul recognized that it was, it was God's grace and Christ's love for us that worked in his life that changed him. And because of God's grace and because of God's love, he is now an apostle of Christ. And then he gives a nutshell statement of what it is to be a Christian, of what Christianity is all about. Let me read it to you there in verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let me tell you where the rubber meets the road on this. Christ came in the world to save you and I because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and that, y'all, that applies to every last one of us. We are all sinners. But praise be to God. Christ came in the world to save sinners. Christ did a bunch of really neat things. As you read in the scripture, you learn that he walked on water. He, he, rose people for, he, he raised people from the dead. He, he gave people their sight back. He healed people. He cast out demons. He did all these miraculous things. But the purpose for him coming was to save sinners. The purpose of him coming was to save you and I. And Paul, who had a firm grasp on, on who he used to be, he said, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Maybe you're reading in the King James Version, and I believe if I remember right, it says Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Paul recognized what Christ did. And look at verse 16 as we see why. Verse 16 is so beautiful. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate His extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Why did He do this? Because of His great love for us. Because of His grace. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a Christian because of God's grace and because of God's love for you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you something. Christ loves you. He loves you just the way you are. I could just see if I, when, I, when I proposed to Roberta, if I, if I would have said something like this, Roberta, I really want to marry you. But if I'm going to marry you, you're going to have to grow to be at least six foot tall. Okay, if I'm going to marry you, Roberta, you're, you're going to have to make a million dollars a year. I could put all these different things on it. Y'all, that's not love. But Christ sees you and I in the filth of our sin and says, Craig, I love you. You put your name there. God says, I love you. 
when Paul understood this and, and, and understood that, that while he was persecuting the church and while he was a blasphemer and while he was an arrogant man, God said, Paul, Saul, remember his name was first Saul, Saul, I love you and so I'm going to, I'm going to save you. And, and he gave his life to Christ. Man, God literally changed his identity Changed his name from Saul to Paul. But furthermore, look at every book that Paul wrote throughout the Scripture. He says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. As he thinks about that, verse 17 is one of the great verses of the Bible. As you read it, it almost looks like it's out of place. But by no means is it out of place. What it is is an overflow of Paul understanding what God, through Christ, did for him. Just think about this as you're writing this letter. If you were writing this letter to your friend, you're saying, you know, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst, man. I was an arrogant persecutor of the church. I, I blasphemed. I, I didn't like Christ. I didn't like his church, and it was my goal to destroy his church. But in his great love and in his great patience, he saved me, and he changed my identity. And then literally, Paul goes into a praise as he weighs the weight of what Christ did for him. And look at verse 17, just a beautiful verse. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, I'm going to tell you all about this. Okay, I'm going to tell you what Christ has done, to, done for me. He saved me. He changed my identity. Oh, and as I think about that, now to the King eternal, Father God, be all praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. The overflow of his heart as he recounted what Christ had did for him was praise. Now let me ask you this question today. Who are you? Who are you? We think about Paul. Verse 16 says that he saved him to show his great patience and he literally took a man who couldn't be further away from God, who was persecuting people, who, 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 who looked on with approval as an innocent man named Stephen was murdered. And he looked on and he applauded them. Good job, men. And as he's literally on his way to take people captive who believe in Christ, God got a hold of him. And he took an arrogant man took a, a persecutor of the church, took a blasphemous man and made him a missionary, made him a pastor, and made him an author who wrote letters to people like Timothy, to the church at Galatia, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Corinth. And the list goes on, telling them, I was this, but praise be to God, I am now an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think the, the hymn writer, the, the, the singer, he's still alive, Mylon Lefevre, I think he hit it right on the nose when he said this. He wrote this song, many of you will know the song. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without him, I could be dying. Without him, I'd be enslaved. Without him, life would be hopeless, but with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved.
Who are you? Who are you? Are you a Christian? Are you trying to do it on your own? Paul, when he was Saul, his story was going to a dead end. But with Jesus, he became a missionary, a pastor, an author. Some 2,000 years later, we are still talking about this man, Paul. Let me give you the main point today. The main point is this. Today matters. So find your identity in Christ. Today matters. Let me ask you a question. Have you personally, each person, have you personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, that's what you need. You need to find your identity in Christ. I did when I was nine years old in 1979. And it hasn't been a perfect merry-go-round ride since then. There's been ups and there's downs. But I thank God that I'm saved. And I stand before you today because of God's grace. Each one of us here today that is a Christian. Because of God's grace, you are a Christian. Not because of anything you did. Not because of anything you can do. But because of God's grace. Let me give you the first truth. Our identity should be built on the foundation of Christ's love and grace. Paul totally got this. Your identity should be built on the foundation of God's love and grace. My son designs these enormous swimming pools. Uh, he, he, he's done several, and we were talking this weekend about it. He's now done two or three swimming pools that the swimming pool alone was over a million dollars. And, and, and it, it's funny because he, he, he's kind of got a weird brain. You know, he, he's, he's artistic and, and he's analytical. It just makes for kind of a weirdo. That's, that's my son. I'm allowed to say that. But when, when, if you talk to him, you get to pick his brains. He, he, there's something that really gets his goat. And he'll say this. He'll say, Dad, the thing that, that really gets me is, is when we do a design and then they want to continually change the design. They want to morph it or whatever. He said, it's like you're trying to hit a moving target. And, and if you're trying to hit a moving target, you're never going to make them happy and you're going to leave them wanting and all this kind of stuff. You and I, if, if our faith, if our faith is not built on the foundation of God's love and grace, you and I are doing the very same thing. We're trying to hit a moving target, and you're going to miss it. That's just a fact. Out at the men's skeet shoot a couple of weeks ago, we, 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 we were using this, this clay pigeon thrower that had what's called a wobbler on it. And it was funny, if everything was stationary, boom, 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 and we knew where the targets were going, like me, I would at least hit one out of 15, okay? But when, that, when the thing started moving and throwing the clay pigeons in different directions, I was useless. If our faith is not built on the foundation of God's love, and grace. Let me go one step further. If your value is not built on the foundation of God's love and grace, you're trying to hit a moving target and you will come up empty. Let me give you another truth. If your identity is found in anything or any person other than God and Christ, then be prepared to live by the limited success and the multitude of failures of that identity. 
If, if your identity is found in anything else besides God, besides Christ, because of his, and besides his love and grace, then be prepared to live by, by the limited success. You may experience some success. But also be prepared to live by the multitude of failures that comes with that. Paul saw that. Remember as Paul's recounting, as he's writing to Timothy, and he, he, he's remembering all the things he did by worldly terms. Paul would have been applauded. Oh, you're, you're a persecutor of the church. Great, because we don't like the church either. Oh, you don't like Christ? We don't like Christ either. Good job. We're applauding you. We're proud of what you do. We're proud of how well you know the law. But then you listen to Paul's own words. And by the way, if you haven't heard this, I'm going to tell you something. 99% of you have heard this. Hindsight is 2020. We can look backwards and see what we should have done and get it right 100% of the time. Do you notice that's what Paul did? Paul was applauded by the community. But when he looked back, he realized what he really was. I was a blasphemer. I was an arrogant man. I was nothing more than a persecutor of the church. In, um, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, let me read this to you real quick. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh. And by the way, this is when he says this. This is where you and I, we can begin to relate. Okay? Because he's going to go into all the things by worldly standards that made him who he was. Listen to this. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, we look at Paul, and we're like, well, listen here, you arrogant man. He says, whatever you built your life on that's given you success, I have more. That's what Paul says there. You can also kind of hear him just saying this, listen to this, and listen to what he says. Circumcised on the eighth day, which was, that, that was, that was perfection. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So in other words, if you are a Boy Scout, I'm the Eagle Scout. If you threw six no-hitters, I've thrown seven no-hitters. If you knocked the dude out in the second round, I knocked him out in the first round. I'm better than you altogether. But listen to what he says. Remember, hindsight is 2020. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss. Because of Christ. He understood that all the things that he thought he was doing right, the applause he was getting, was nothing more than garbage because he learned who Christ was. And Christ changed his identity. Who are you today? Let me give you three questions, and these are not in your notes, so if you just want to listen. Three questions regarding this truth, or actually three things to ponder. If your identity is in your work, what happens when you retire or you're replaced or you lose interest? If you were to say, you know what, I'm Craig, or I'm the pastor of First Baptist Bridgeport, then who am I when I retire? Or who am I when I'm replaced? Or who am I when I lose interest? Who are you? If, you play, if your identity is placed in your work, you're setting yourself up for failure. 
I had a friend that worked for a company for a bunch of years. It was a huge warehouse. And he was, what well, he still is, one of the most brilliant people when it came to warehousing. They called him into the office one day. And they said, listen, we're going to replace you with somebody who's less than half your age. Graduated from A&M. And we're going to replace him. We're going to replace you with him. And that guy came in and he began reworking everything that my friend had done for so many years and it didn't work out. Now luckily, my friend's faith and his identity was in Christ and so it just led him to retirement. But what would have happened if his identity was in his work? Parents, I don't want to step on your toes. But if your identity is found in your children... What are you going to do when they graduate, move away from home, and check on you occasionally? I was listening to Focus on the Family recently, and they posed this same question a different way. And, and, and I've never thought of it this way. They, talking about our identity and, and people who put their identity in their children. Let me tell you something. Being a parent is an incredible gift from God, and is not, it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not for the people who are going to check out and run away from it. It is an incredible privilege. But even in the process of parenting, your identity needs to be found in Christ. Focus on the Family said it this way. If you ask somebody, how is your kid? And, and just for the sake of explaining this, we'll make up a kid. We'll call him Johnny. If you go up to Johnny and say, Johnny, how are you doing today? And mom steps up to the plate and says, oh, we're not having a good day. The Herb family has done that before, spoke for our son. Well, Johnny, are you having a good weekend? Oh, we have a lot of homework. Focus on the family says that that parent is putting their identity in that child. And then what happens when that child grows up, graduates and moves away from home and checks on you occasionally? That second part, you might be saying, oh, tap the brakes. My son or my daughter is not ever going to not check on me. Okay. I'll leave that with you. Let me give you one more identity. If your identity is found in your success, what do you do when someone comes along behind you and beats you? If your identity is found in your success, what do you do when someone comes behind you and beats you? I think of Nolan Ryan in this. Nolan Ryan, I don't know anything about except that he was a great baseball pitcher. I loved watching him pitch. But if, you, if he introduced himself to you every day, and I, like I said, I don't know him, but if he came up, shook your hand, and said, hey, I'm Nolan Ryan. I threw seven no-hitters. Nobody's done that in Major League Baseball. And if that was his identity, then what happens when somebody comes along and throws seven no-hitters? Or worse yet, what happens when somebody comes along and throws eight no-hitters? I was speaking to a friend of mine who, who's had contact with a lot of high-profile uh, high athletes. And he said some of the most empty people in this world are people who have reached the pinnacle of sports and got there and realized that they were as empty there as they were when they were just beginning. Where is your identity? Who are you? Let me give you a final truth and then we'll be through. When our identity harmonizes with our faith beliefs, we become a powerful example of God's love and grace. When our identity harmonizes, when it dovetails with God's love and grace, then we become a very powerful example, and God can use us. I had a friend when I worked at Greyhound Bus Station. This dude was, he, he, he was weird, but he was fun to be around. 
He had hair down to the center of his back, and, and we would talk. I would kid him about that, and, and, and we, we would have these conversations, and finally it came out. He had a couple of life principles. Now, I'm sure he had others, but these two he shared with me, and they were quite funny. He said, Craig, I never, ever get my hair cut by somebody whose hair is shorter than mine. I, I, when I heard that, I'm like, you're kidding, right? There, there's no barbers out there that have hair longer than you. And he's like, no, I, I, and I won't. Why? Because they, they harmonized together, and, and he knew that they knew their identity. This dude was skinny as a rail. If he turned sideways, you couldn't see him, and he had this philosophy. He says, I am never going to a restaurant where the chef is skinnier than I am. Those are his two principles, and here's why. Because that skinny chef is saying something about his food, according to my friend. But when, when their identities matched, man, there was great power there. The same thing is true for you and I. If we tell people we're a Christian, Christians, if we tell people we're a Christian, but our identity is in something else, maybe it's in our business savvy, maybe, maybe it's in our kids, maybe it's in our athletic greatness, wherever it is, if it's, in, if it's in something other than Christ, then there's a disconnect and people see through it just as clear as they can. Our testimony needs to match and our identity needs to match. So I want to ask you one more time today. Who are you? I'm Craig Erb. I was born to Merle and Carolyn Erb in 1970. In 1979, I gave my life to Christ at a revival preached by a guy named Dr. Roy Fish. And from then on, it's been a journey. There's been ups and there's downs, but here's who I am. I am Craig Erb, saved by Jesus Christ. I'm not a good businessman. I'm not a good athlete. The older I get, the better I was, but I'm not a good athlete. I'm just a regular Joe who is saved by Christ. Who are you? Just a second, the band's going to come and they're going to have a, a, a song of invitation. Some of us today, and I believe this heavy in my heart today, some of us today, we've never trusted Jesus Christ as, as I should say, rephrase that, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, then it is not possible that your identity is found in Christ. Maybe today, as soon as the, the band begins to sing, I'm going to be standing down here. The staff will be standing right over here. Maybe you need to come down here and grab me by the hand or grab one of them by the hand and say, listen, I am not a Christian. Don't be embarrassed by that. We pray for you. Maybe you need to come down and say, today I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We would love to pray for you and help you begin that journey. And as a pastor... And I know that I speak on behalf of the entire staff. We want to be alongside of you as you begin that journey. Maybe you need to come down here today and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, though, maybe you're a Christian, but your identity is in something else. Maybe you were a great athlete. Maybe you were a, I don't know, whatever. Maybe you're... A great movie star. I don't think that applies to anyone in here, but maybe. Maybe you were that. And you realize that you're empty. Maybe today you need to do 
as Paul preached and find your identity in Christ. Today, you can come down here and again grab us by the hand and just say, hey, will you help me? And we'll be glad to help you. Maybe you need to do it right where you're sitting. I believe with all my heart that there are people here today that need to make a decision. And I'm not going to drag this out. I'm not going to keep going or anything like that. The ball's in your court. Let me close with this thought and then we're going to pray. And then we're going to have our time of invitation. If your identity is in anything other than Christ, other than God, then be prepared to live by the limited successes and the multitude of failures that come with that identity. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we offer this time completely to you. And how you would move, Lord, uh, God, I, I, I pray, Lord, that those who are here today that have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, Father God, they know that. And if they've never trusted you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today they make one of two decisions. Number one, that they come and they give their life to you. And they surrender their life to you and say, I'm going to follow Christ. Or number two, Lord, they strengthen their defenses and be prepared. Father God, maybe there are those who are here today that that have been Christians for a long time or maybe even a new Christian. And yet their identity is found in something that used to be. I pray, Lord, that today we would find our identity in you. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand?